pray this in His wonderful and everlasting name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, you know that there are times in the Christian life when we find ourselves in deep distress, and and the Lord in His providence uses sometimes things unexpected to comfort us or bring us relief. I remember a few years ago weeping with my wife on a friend's couch after the loss of our first son, and our friend and his wife brought us hymnals, and we began to sing Jerusalem the Golden, and the Lord used that hymn to remind my wife and me of the glorious reality of our heavenly Zion, where we will be with God's people, with our departed children, but most importantly, with the triune God himself. And the Lord often will work this way, maybe with a friend's text message of scripture, or maybe in our personal devotions, perhaps an encouraging encouraging comment before or after worship, or even a podcast or a book. The Lord uses means to comfort his discouraged people. And he does it throughout every age. Now we come to the prophet Daniel. And Daniel was a man who was ripped from his homeland. He spent his entire life in exile. His family crushed and oppressed. The worship of his God suppressed. The temple destroyed. At one point it was a crime to worship God publicly. Daniel was a man sorely afflicted and sorely oppressed. Yes, he would have and rise to the third position in the kingdom, but it was often a tenuous position where his life always hung in the balance. So what did God do? Well, as we read, he receives a vision in the night. As he was resting and contemplating these things, he receives a vision of four great beasts who come up from the sea, and these creatures are terrifying and powerful we know from later on in, these cha- in this chapter that these beasts represent four great kingdoms, likely Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So Daniel, as he's in exile in this kingdom and sorely oppressed, he sees the strength of the nation that is presently crushing his people. And then he sees another three nations who seem to be more vile and vicious against the kingdom of God's people. And then what does Daniel see? How does the Lord comfort Daniel? Well, the same way he comforts you and I by pointing us to Christ. See, Daniel sees a vision first of the ancient of days, the great judge with a throne more glorious than any of these four beastly kingdoms. And the very judgment day of the very beasts, he sees another vision. The vision continues to our text, verses 13 and 14, and these verses provide the crux of not only Daniel's hope, but yours. They call us to look to the Son of Man, who has received a glorious kingdom. Look to the Son of Man, who has received a glorious kingdom. We'll first consider the Son of Man himself in verse 13, and then look at his wondrous kingdom in verse 14. Firstly, look to the Son of Man in verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. First, look to where the Son of Man goes. He ascends on high. This is a contrast between the four beasts who arise out of the depths of the sea. This is a symbol in uh, in the ancient world, in the in, in 
the Jewish scriptures, from the sea is chaos, disorder. The enemies of God come from the sea. Where does the Son of Man go? He doesn't come up from the sea to destroy the land. He comes from the land and goes up to heaven. The beasts highlight man's condition. The best man can do is bestial. These four beasts represent that man has become what he has been meant to rule. And you think of every nation that has ever lived, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, Germany, Russia, Britain, the United States. There's never been a spotless nation because every nation is full of sinful men. There can never be a spotless nation because there will always be full of sinners. No nation is spotless because no man is spotless. So there needs to be something else. If man can only create a bestial kingdom, how can they approach the Ancient of Days and pass through this book of judgment? Will enter the Son of Man. This is a need for a true man, a, a second Adam. We need a man who can approach God on our behalf, a king whose kingdom is right with God. So who is the Son of Man? He is both God and man. We see the deity demonstrated because he's coming on the clouds. And whenever you hear that phrase, coming on the clouds, it is often a poetic description of Yahweh rescuing his people. We see that in Isaiah 19 and in the end of Deuteronomy. Yahweh is depicted, Jehovah, the covenant God of God's people, as comes on the clouds to a swift rescue of God's people. So we know he is Yahweh. He is God. He is divine. Then you see the attribution of this strange title, Son of Man. And this raises the mystery of this figure. This is a man who can come before the Ancient of Days and be not consumed. So who is he? As you read the Gospels, count, and I would encourage you to do that maybe in this coming year as you read through the Gospels in your Bible reading. Count the times and all the the titles that are attributed to Christ, and then count the times Christ attributes titles to himself. And you'll find that Jesus' favorite title for himself, how he describes himself, is the Son of Man. Jesus identifies himself as this passage, and it's his favorite appellation to himself. He affirms his identity clearly, in Mark 14, 62 through 64, he's before the Pharisees awaiting crucifixion. And as they're interrogating him and beating him, they ask him the question, are you the Christ? Meaning, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. We read again in Acts 1, 9, Jesus, as he's blessing his disciples and apostles before he ascends, what do they see? They see Jesus Christ lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. In Acts 7, we read, read earlier, Stephen sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. But he proclaims, not look, I see Jesus. He says, look, I see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. The ascendant Son of Man demonstrates 
the success of Jesus Christ's mission. He makes this bold claim, I am the Son of Man. And if he had remained in the grave, we would have every reason to call him a liar. And if he had stepped out of the grave, perhaps we also could. Maybe he would rise again to die again. But he doesn't. He steps out of the grave, spends 50 days on earth, and then ascends on high into glory. Which means everything that Christ did on behalf of his people, from the incarnation, from his sinless life, his death on the cross, paying the penalty for God's people, all of those things have now been accepted before the Ancient of Days of the Father because he was able to ascend into his presence. In Daniel's distress, God reveals a glimpse of Israel and exile's hope and consolation, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in our distress, whether it's religious or personal turmoil as we interact with God's word. Maybe we've come to have doubts of the scriptures. Or maybe there's particular portions of scripture that are convicting us of our sin. Or there's familial distress. Marriages struggling or falling apart. Children in rebellion. Parents who are walking away. When we think of every kind of rebellion and stress and distress we can find ourselves in brothers and sisters I would urge you consider the son of man who went through every stress and fiery trial and yet it has ascended on high look to where the son of man goes and look to whom he goes to look to the son of man who goes to the ancient of days his father and this is in the Old Testament, this beautiful mystery of the Trinity, which is far more revealed to us in the New Testament. We see God is one in essence, three in person. In this glorious mystery, we see the judge, the father, the ancient of days, receiving back he whom he had sent, the Son of Man. This ancient of days is a title which gives us this description of being perfectly pure. His power is exercised with integrity and justice. We can rest. Whatever happens in our lives, it is done because a perfectly righteous and just and wise God does it. Period. And that's who we rest in. And you consider the Son, the Son of Man. What kind of kingdom will He rule? Will He rule it like the Ancient of Days? You might remember... A few years ago when Pastor Lowell went through the book of Revelation, he described, the, the Apostle John describes Christ in Revelation 1 as having the same attributes, the same description as the Ancient of Days, not because of the same person, but because they have the same attributes. Hair white like wool, wisdom, power, righteousness, that the Son of Man will rule the kingdom just like his Father rules with justice and righteousness. The Son is like his Father. So Christ, the Son of Man, approaches because he has the dignity and right to enter the court. He has first the dignity. He is the eternal Son of God. And by nature can enter into the presence of Almighty God and be not consumed. Something you and I cannot do because we're more like the beasts than like the image and likeness of God unmarred. 
We're not like true man. We're more like the bears and the leopards and the tigers in our fallen condition. But Christ, as God, can enter fully and faithfully. He also has the right to enter. He is the appointed mediator between God and man. He approaches his Father as the perfect man. In essence, there's there's never been a more true man than the Lord Jesus. He fulfilled the law for his people. He paid the penalty for his people. And he now presently intercedes for his people. And every name the Son of Man utters before the Ancient of Days is stricken from the book of judgment. When Christ intercedes, he speaks your name to the Father. And he says to the Father, I have not lost any whom you have given to me. Dear ones, marvel with me at the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. He came meek and mild, gentle and lowly, not like a fearsome beast, but as the appearance of a gentle lamb. He came from heaven and has now returned to heaven. And he has accomplished what he has set out to do. You think of what was Jesus' mission He did not come to make salvation possible. He did not come to make salvation possible. He came to make salvation certain. He did not come to try and establish his kingdom. He declared the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he ascended on high because he has defeated every obstacle between God and man, removed every barrier. The wood of the cross has now become the bridge to the Father. And in your distress... Do you ever wonder, is this still true? Amidst all the uncertainty in our present day, in the past few weeks and months, it could be tempting to ask yourself the question, does God still love me, my family, my church, my country? Look first at God's initiative. He comes for His people. And Do you ever wonder if God even hears your prayers? Maybe we've lost favor. With the ancient of days, surely such weak and feeble prayers as ours stop at the clouds. Should my words be heard in the presence of the ancient of days who commands nations to rise and fall, who has the 10,000 times 10,000 angels worshiping him, do your prayers have a right to enter his holy ears? Thus enters the Son of Man who pleads and comes to the presence of the Father. And he pleads as your high priest, Father, forgive them. Father, preserve them. Father, prepare a room for them. How does the Ancient of Days, the Father of the Son of Man, respond? He gives to the Son of Man a wondrous kingdom. Look to the Son of Man who has received from the Ancient of Days a wondrous kingdom. Verse 14. Then to him, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. First, this kingdom is glorious. It's extensive and it is everlasting. For the Son receives a glorious kingdom. The Father gives to the Son what is His due. 
He is the King of kings and Lord of lords who receives dominion and glory and a kingdom. That word for dominion refers to power, legal, sovereignty. The dominion that was given to the nations, and we read that in, early in the book of Daniel, has now been stripped and given to the Son of Man. We read in the Gospels of Christ saying that he has bound the strong man that he may plunder his house. And Christ has been given a legal right. The Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not for him. He has been bound. Christ has secured his legal rights to his kingdom. He's been given a glorious kingdom. And this glory, is a, this word refers to a state of high honor. It's a status. There is no greater king or kingdom. What king is like our king? Have you considered what Christ, the king of kings, did? He left heaven for earth, the glories of the worship of heaven for the mire and muck of our day-to-day lives. And he was, went through drudgery. And what's fascinating is we don't hear anything of the first three decades of his life, but brief snippets. How humble the Lord Jesus became in his humiliation. Not because he loves his people. We think of what kind of king he was as he interacted with his creatures. A bruised reed he would not break and a smoking flax he would not quench. He answered everyone according to how they would best respond, whether it's the woman at the well or the Pharisees. He responded faithfully to all. He was tender to sinners. He's tender to you. That's the kind of king in glory he is. He's kind to his people. And when we consider the ascendant Christ, perhaps what is most remarkable, at least to me, is that he ascends in his glorified, glorious body to stand at the right hand of God the Father and his scars remain. Because he is the savior of sinners. And his kingdom is one full of sinners. If you call yourself a sinner, I have good news. You can be part of his kingdom, which is glorious and wondrous. This third description, the dominion, glory, and a kingdom that he's given, it's a dominion of rule, a particular kingdom, a particular group. You ask the question, well, what is the kingdom of God on earth? Should we be seeking to establish a Christian nation like the nation state of Israel was? This some theocracy. And you think of, what is the kingdom of God on earth? It is his church. It is his church that Christ has established. There's a sense that the church has been around since Genesis 3.15 with the glorious gospel promise of Adam receiving the good news that the head of the serpent will be crushed by the seed of the woman. But there is this inauguration of the kingdom of God, the church, as it receives the Holy Spirit at Pentecost after the ascension of Christ. That is his kingdom. And we are seeing it fully grow and be flowered and fully grow into the precious flower that it is, though assailed on every side. The Son of Man is given the legal right to rule, the highest honor to rule, and a dominion to rule. And in between the inauguration of the kingdom 
and its consummation at the end of time, it can be very tempting, can't it, to despair or worry or fret. Historically, we, this time has been called the time of the church militant because the church is in war. It's assailed on every side. She's variously afflicted. John Calvin from the 16th century writes, quote, When we see the church tossed about amidst various fluctuations and almost buried and devoured by continual shipwrecks, yet Christ is ever strength, stretching forth his hand to preserve it and save it from every sorrowful and horrible species of destruction, end quote. Yet the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Son of Man, is expanding. Christ, the Son of Man, subdues us to himself by his Spirit. He rules us by his word. He defends us as a jealous husband. And all who presently oppress his church, whether it be individuals, families, or nations, will be judged. The beasts and the kingdom of beasts will not stand. In fact, they are presently restrained, only allowing what evil will profit the church. How will the church grow? And the Lord knows how faithfully to prune His church that it may flourish through every season of life. And Christ is conquering all His enemies. The kingdom of beasts is no match, beloved. For the Son of Man and His kingdom, the church. Therefore, take heart in Christ's glorious kingdom. The Son receives a glorious and an extensive kingdom. All peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. This phrase, all peoples, na- nations, and languages, is a contrast to Daniel 3 4, where all the people were commanded to worship Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon. He commands all the people in his realm to worship him. And historically, he had a very large empire. Very intimidating. Very impressive. But no one worships him now. No one says, Hail Nebuchadnezzar now. And you think of the dominion of the Son of Man who one day every tribe, nation, people, and tongue throughout all time in history, the Catholic, the universal church will praise Jesus Christ. We can forget men like Nebuchadnezzar. And we can consider that all nations, peoples, tongues, and languages will worship Christ the King. And the Son of Man's glory will expand. The Son of Man's kingdom is for all men. There's no divisions. There's no exceptions. There's no division between black and white. There's no divisions between male or female. There's no IQ level cost to come in. There's nothing, there's no hindrance to anyone for any reason to come into the kingdom of God. Nothing hinders you. And the only, the king commands you to come into his kingdom. Which means turn from your sin and turn towards the only mediator between God and the ancient of days, between the ancient of days and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're outside of the church, I urge you, or if you're listening online, I urge you, if you are not in a church, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Seek to join a local church. Enter the kingdom of God visible 
And I would urge you, our covenant children, and those who may have them, and those who long for them, lay hold of the promises given to you. Lay hold of the promises. And if you know someone who has been backslidden, urge them that a promise has been given to you by God. And urge them to return and repent and lay hold of the promises laid upon them at their baptism. And if you are a parent and your child has left the faith, rejected, do not give up. Christ's promises are not void. They don't expire. Pray and plead that the Lord may have mercy on our children who are in a far country. We see the extensive nature of the kingdom of God. And what is the purpose of this extensive nature? Is the service of God? That salvation always leads to thankful service. That the kingdom of God is not a spectator sport, but one in which all are actively engaged in. It's not just the minister or the elders who are involved in the work of the church. Those who are in the pews or the chairs are just as vital to the success of the kingdom of God as the man in the pulpit. For the prayers in the pew ignite the man in the pulpit. The kingdom of God wills and works in and through us to the expansion of this glorious and extensive kingdom. Dear ones, look to the Son of Man who receives a glorious, extensive, and everlasting kingdom. It is everlasting in time, meaning it cannot end. All things come to an end. You thought of that recently? The Lord established seasons to help remind us of such lessons. That the beautiful green leaves outside are now turning to pretty reds, but will soon give way to just limbs. The seasons give way to teach us this lesson The beauty of spring always gives way to the darkness of winter. Times of fellowship come to an end. That times of great friendship often come to an end. Because at the end of the day, one of us is going to die. And we all will, should the Lord tarry. So we can't rest our laurels or rest ourselves on anything in this life because it's all passing away. So what do you base your whole life on? I urge you, I commend to you the glory of the Son of Man who as we read His kingdom is everlasting. It cannot end. Look to His everlasting kingdom which will endure forever because it is God who planned it, built it, and preserves it. Do not put your hope on that which will crumble to dust. Rather, put your hope in Christ who reigns presently. His kingdom is everlasting in time and glory. It cannot be destroyed. Though the church be assailed on every side, she cannot be shaken. For her strong tower and mighty fortress is Christ himself, the rock upon which we are built and established, and upon which the gates of hell cannot prevail. Look to the Son of Man who has received a wondrous kingdom. Look to where he goes, the highest heavens, and his ascension displays the accomplishment of his work on earth. And if you are in Christ, you go to him by the power and work of the Holy Spirit of God who personally makes you fit 
for heaven. Even now you are by grace becoming more of what you will one day be. And do not be discouraged if you're like me and you find your progress often lacking. Rather, look afresh, look again to the Son of Man. Be encouraged, for He is now where you will one day be if you by faith lay hold of Him. Look to who He goes to, the Ancient of Days, the Father. He goes to His Father, and in Him you are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. And Christ intercedes with His Father on your behalf. There is no convincing, there is no cajoling, The Father delights to answer the prayers of His Son out of love for His people. And we see this in the Ancient of Days response as He says to the Son of Man, Here is a kingdom. It is a glorious kingdom because her King is all glorious and He rules and reigns on high over His people as our Redeemer, as her Shepherd, as her Savior, as her Friend. His glorious kingdom extends to all the earth And do not hesitate to join, for you will either bask in the light of the sun, or you will burn with the beasts. Pray for those outside of the kingdom, for family, friends, neighbors, your state, your nation, the nations, the backslidden. Pray, dear ones, that his kingdom may advance, that all nations may know the glorious name of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ the King. In times of distress and declension, when things are uncertain, remind yourself to look to the Son of Man, whose kingdom cannot end nor ever be destroyed. As the hymn goes, amid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, She waits for the consummation of peace forevermore, till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Take comfort in the Son of Man, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and has received a glorious, extensive, and everlasting kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. O good and gracious God, we pray for your blessing upon the preaching of your word. We pray, O Lord, that by your spirit, you would encourage our hearts to ever faithfully look to him who is faithful and true, the Lord Jesus Christ. O Lord, open our eyes and open our hearts. And finally, O Lord, open our mouths to declare your praise day after day until you call us home or until you gloriously return. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.